0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: So I wonder if any of you have any questions that you'd like to ask me. In the Dharma, in classically in Buddhism, there is this idea of trying to make good karma. And one of the ways to make good karma is to ask questions. Yes, please.
0: In the interest of generating good karma... I'll ask a question. Is it on? Okay. Um, Gail, I wonder if you could just talk a little bit more about what you were talking about this morning. Um, uh, Mindfulness of emotions, feeling the... experiencing them through the sensations of your body. And then... um, can't remember the rest of my question.
1: You mean the, the morning on YouTube or the morning? Yeah, day? the
0: morning on YouTube. Yeah.
1: So more about uh, experiencing sensations in the body and the, in, in relationship to,
0: to emotions. Emotions, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think that if we had no sensations in our body, if we kind of like just, you know, unplugged all the sensations in our body, we wouldn't know what emotions we're having. We wouldn't know what we're feeling. We might have ideas, but um, I think that we wouldn't really, it'd be hard to discern. I mean, even so, I mean, sometimes different emotions have a lot of similar, sometimes, body activation, but we can feel the difference between, you know, uh, you know, anger and alarm, or something, and um, and so the idea is to um, and, and to feel the sensations, feel in the body what's been activated through the emotion. And one of the advantages of that is that that's always in the present moment. The, the what we're thinking about, the story we're telling ourselves, the event that kind of catalyzed or triggered the emotion may or may not be present anymore. It might have happened ten years ago, it might have happened five minutes ago, but the situation has changed and we're still dwelling on that situation. And and so uh, by, by finding a place in the present moment to rest attention that's not dismissing the emotion but is actually part of the ecology, the event of the emotion that is in the, clearly in the present moment it can it makes it easier then to, to to tease apart the the way we're holding on to the past, the way we're retelling the story, the way that we're uh, you know our identity, our assumptions, our beliefs, different things that are connected to the emotion, to separate it out and realize oh that's what those things are, and again not to dismiss them or or dis disrespect the stories and the identities and all those things, but um, to be able to tease it apart so to see, oh, that's what it is. As opposed to thinking that emos- the emotion is the thing. Emotions are composite. They're a collection of things that come together. And many people just relate to the emotion as a thing itself. And then it's hard to find our bearings with it. But if we see it as made up of parts, different, char- different components, and then st- separate out the parts, then sometimes it's a lot easier to, to be present and deal with each component part. Some people have policies around the emotion. Like if I'm angry, I'm right. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, that's just the, that's the, you know, so they're, they're relating to the anger as a thing that I know that I'm right. <clears throat> Thank you. Whereas, if, oh, what is this anger? Oh, anger is a lot of fire in the belly. There's a lot of story, there's a lot of identity with who I think I am or how, who I am, who I think I am has been challenged by that person, there's a lot of fear that's going on. I'm afraid that what the person said is going to somehow challenge something about in my life. And so now we see there's made up of things. There's the, there's the anger, there's the fear, there's the sensations that are playing. There's then how I react to the sensations. There's the upwelling volcanic feelings. And and, uh, and all I know how to do is to give in to those, the volcano or go along with it as opposed to you know, I don't have to give in to it. I don't have to collapse into it. So we start seeing all the things that are going on, and that gives us much more capacity to be wise, much more capacity to, um, to hold it, to be aware of it, uh, without being pushed around by it, or caught in it, or entangled in it.
0: So, um, I guess I'm interested in the part between feeling the sensations in the body and, I guess, sort of like seeing the stories and the identification and whatnot that seems more like um, intellectual activity or, I don't know, mental activity than sensory activity. So, is there like an order that that happens or
1: well you have to realize that what I'm teaching mindfulness I'm teaching what's appropriate or most useful I think as a general idea how to to be mindful of these things but that isn't the only strategy the only approach to dealing with our life some people when they hear mindfulness teachers talk confidently about being mindful they think that's the only thing you're allowed to do but in fact, there's a lot of other things that are wise to do. So so, so part of mindfulness is to put you in a better position to see the terrain, see what's happening for you, uh, have a better view, better relationship with it all. Not so that mindfulness is going to be the solution, but so that you can be wiser about what to do. And uh, And so it might be that you decide, yeah, mindfulness is the way to go. And let me just be mindful of this and... I'm on retreat anyway, so I might as well trust this process. Or it might be, you see, you know, I keep telling the same story over and over again. And that story keeps going on and on, and I'm really stuck on that story. And I think I need to kind of spend time with the story. Maybe I'll find a friend that I can um, just tell the story. with, And maybe they can ask questions, or maybe they can... Maybe they have some observations to tell me. If I tell the story to them, what do they hear that I don't? I'm not hearing. So there's, you know, so you know, there's all these um, you know, there's all these choices to be made. You know, I, I, but mindfulness helps us to put us in the place where we can make better choices. And um, and mindfulness, one of the one of the hallmarks of mindfulness practice, at least from a Buddhist point of view is for us to be mindful and to see clearly um, where our reactivity is, where we're for and against, where we're getting tangled, where uh, attachments have come into play, and where we're, what we're grasping at, what we're pushing away. And to work with that, and learn how not to give into that, to learn to relax that, so that then we can see the emotion more clearly. But if we're seeing the emotion through Our attachments, through our resistance, through our reactivity to it, we don't really see the emotion very well. So, part of mindfulness then—sometimes the emotion isn't what needs our attention. What really needs attention is the reactivity that we have around the emotion. And so, so the you know the question: What is your relationship to the emotion? For some people, is it's it's, um, it's uh, a kind of life-changing to ask that question, because they never realized they had a relationship to it, that they just, like, I'm just doing my, th- I'm just being normal. I'm just, you know, whatever I do is normal. And, but in fact, uh, you know, I hate my anger, you know, or I'm ashamed of it. That might be the interesting thing to work with. And then, when we go back to look at the original thing, like the anger, then we can see it more clearly. We're not seeing it through the filter of the shame or the filter of the hate or the horror or whatever it might be. So, so mindfulness helps a lot to clarify what our relationship is, what is our reactivity. And, uh, <clears throat> and so, and the, uh, the assumption where I'm operating under, under here is the more clearly you see what's happening, the wiser we can choose what to do. Is so that uh, great? Thank you. Yeah, can you can you turn the volume up a little bit, Nana? Because um, and, yeah, okay. and if you hold it if you hold it also horizontally, then it's also the sound goes better. They're, yeah, they're built to be to be used that way. Oh uh, what is um envy transformed what is what envy transformed what um, is it when it 's transformed yeah, like you know how greed transformed is generosity oh, and yeah. hatred transformed is love Oh, envy that 's a good question i 've never thought about it. I was going to say generosity and uh, envy can be transformed to generosity, but then you you, you 've made another association for generosity, so maybe they can both be generous but but um, do you have any, any guesses? Uh, maybe equanimity or acceptance. Equanimity um, or? I, or acceptance. Acceptance. Equanimity or acceptance. What are some of the rest of you thinking? Yes. Admiration. Hmm? Admiration. Admiration. Envy goes to admiration. That's nice. Yes. Mudita or sympathetic joy. Mudita or sympathetic joy. Yes. I was about to say that. Right, lovely. Thank you. <laughs> Great question. Any other answers? Good. I think that's, a, you know, given our kind of the Buddhist teachings and all this, I think those of you who had sympathetic joy as an answer is pretty kind of maybe the most obvious one that I didn't think of.
0: Acceptance.
1: What? Acceptance. Acceptance is also good, yeah. Freedom. Nice. The, um, you know, the, the, one of the distinctions that Buddhism makes, uh, it's not explicit, but uh, it's kind of built into the teachings, is that um, some emotions uh, come with attachment that's built into what they are. And some emotions come with a lack of attachment. As long as they come with attachment of any type at all, uh, it's not healthy for us. And uh, and so the practice is to help us release the clinging, release the tension of attachment, um, and then we see what the wise thing is to do. If something remains that uh, thus has no attachment in it, uh, that can be motivating to take care of ourselves, take care of a situation, protect ourselves, do what we need to do. But um, the lack of attachment or the acceptance doesn't mean that we we're just passive and just, you know, just, well, just go along with it. That that's not healthy either, sometimes. But, you know, but without attachment, then the question is, what No, now what's the response? What's the appropriate thing to do now? And my hope is that as we become less attached, we also became le- become less inhibited by fear. So it's easier to step forward and do what needs to be done. We can speak up, for example. So one more, and then we stop. Hopefully, it can be short because it is twelve. Um,
0: for the hindrance of sloth and torpor, you, uh, you like rigidity. Uh, what exactly is rigid, and what's the relationship with uh, shutting down?
1: Yeah. So in the in the in the poly dictionaries, the definition for uh, what's usually called sloth. Uh, is rigidity as we freeze? So I think the English idea of uh, fight or f- 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 fight, uh, you know, fight or fly- f- flight or fight or freeze. Sometimes when we get really afraid, we get numb, we get tight, we get rigid, we get frozen in some way. And and uh, and when I saw that in the dictionary, I said, oh, the sloth and torpor. Maybe there's a distinction that maybe has some usefulness to see sloth and torpor. But uh, it's really useful to think about this frozen, this freezing, this rigidity that the, many people fall into. So I thought that was really brilliant to think of that as part of the third hindrance. It kind of fills in the kind of a missing piece of where we get hindered. Is that enough for now? Yes. Thank you. Great. So.